Welcome to the Self-Publishing School Podcast. This is the podcast to listen to if you're an aspiring writer or an author who wants to be more successful. On this show, you'll learn how to write and launch a book successfully, all from the top authors and people just like you who are doing it at the highest level. I'm your host, Chandler Volt, the founder of Self-Publishing School, the author of the book called Published, and the CEO of selfpublishing.com. For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Hey, Chandler Bolt here, and joining me today is the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. John Acuff. Uh, John is a New York Times bestselling author of six books. He's an Inc. Magazine top 100 leadership speaker. He's a legendary speaker. He's hilarious. He's, I feel like way back when... Maybe my brother, some of you know, my brother plays in uh, Need to Breathe, I think was a big John Acuff fan and turned me on to John's stuff years ago. We ended up in a, in a men's prayer group together, uh, now, now kind of uh, getting to know each other. Who knows? Maybe he'll convince me to move to Nashville. Uh, but John's awesome. It doesn't take much, dude. It does not take much. You got to get here before the rest of California gets here. My daughter had 10, 10 students in her class, second semester of high school from Oregon and California. That's never happened before. Everyone's saying, so don't like, California, my Texas. Don't California, my Tennessee. Now, nah, well, I'm shall all see. about Chandler coming to, coming to Nashville. <laughs> we got the There's room. nobody else. Hey, so today we're going to be talking about uh, John's, I mean, books. How, how does he write books? How does he launch books? How has he had so much success as both an author and a speaker? Uh, so I'm really excited about that. John, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, buddy. So, hey, why, why books? Why are books such a huge part of your brand? your business. I mean, it seems like it's a huge thing that, that, that drives the speaking and vice versa. Why books? Well, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, it takes a level of work that's challenging. Like eight, the stat I saw, New York Times, 81% of Americans want to write a book um, and less than 1% do every year. So it's a nice, um, it's a nice filter. You know, there's, it's, a, it's a challenging thing to do. It's not impossible by any means. People do it every day. Um, but it's, I think it's a nice challenge creatively. Um, I like the discipline it requires me to have. Um, I have kind of a very Twitter brain and it forces me to think long form and forces me to collect ideas and shape ideas and hone ideas. So I'm a better creative for it. Um, and then I think it's really, I think it's, it's something that somebody can actually hold and say, okay, this is a thing this person created. I, you know, this is something that I can trust the speaker to talk about or engage about. So I think it's, they're, they're really mutual. Um, and then it, it, it teaches me how to listen too, because then when I'm speaking at an event and, you know, I spoke at an event two days ago for uh, farmers and they were like, yeah, it takes about the, the rough rule is one farm hand per a thousand acres, but it depends on the hand. It depends on the acres. I don't know if I'll use that ever, but that's a really interesting fact that I didn't, I didn't know barley was a winter crop that was in between soy and corn. Like, all right. I didn't know that there's a lot of farmers that got into farming to be introverts, but now they find themselves needing to be CEOs and that's challenging. Then you had the family dynamic of, they might've purchased the family farm from their dad who's still around, but he's no longer the boss. And now they're the boss of their own dad. And so like, those were all ideas that, I'll put into the idea collection and then maybe someday I'll put them in a book. So they, they kind of feed on each other. The, mm. the speaking helps the writing, the writing helps the speaking. And I enjoy both. Yeah, that's great. Now what, what's talk to me, what's, what's your process for writing books and how has that evolved through the six, I think now seven books 
Yeah. So it's totally evolved. I mean, I'm, I'm starting one right now. I'm starting number eight. I'm in the middle of a two book deal with my publisher. Um, so a lot of times it's, I try to find an idea that I'm worth, I'm willing to spend two years writing about and the rest of my life talking about, cause that's the reality of a book. Um, so I'm trying to find a question, a problem, a, something that's really, really fascinating to me. I, I mean, I did a podcast episode about this. I too, Chandler have a podcast It's called all it takes is a goal. And I did one on the Venn diagram of a best-selling idea, because from my experience, a best-selling book has three things in common, best-selling business, best-selling speech, whatever, personal passion. You're deeply connected to the content. Um, there's a need. The audience actually needs it. And there's a spot in the market. You have those three things. If you have, say you have a great personal passion and you feel like, you know, there's a need, but it's overserved in the market, you have a cake pop. Like by the time it's at Starbucks, dude, it's, it's too late. It's a wrap on cake pops. If you have a great personal passion, um, it's not being served in the market. You look in the market and like, it's not overserved, but nobody needs it. You have a hobby. Like, I love that you love um, ferrets, you know, that are albino for the mid Ohio river Valley. That's, that's not a, that's not a big enough book to write about. Say you have a need and a market, but you know, have no personal passion. You have a day job. Like you might make some money on it, might be able to do it, but you're eventually going to get tired of it because you don't have personal passion. So I look for those three things when I write a book. So for soundtracks, my newest book about overthinking, I was like, I have a need. I'm an overthinker. I, I think a lot of thoughts about a lot of things. I work with a PhD named Mike Peasley, and we asked 10,000 people if they struggle with overthinking and 99.5% of them said yes. So if you as an author ever find a question that 99.5% of 10,000 people raise their hand for, write that book. And then I went to the market and realized there's some great books on overthinking, but I felt like I could take a different approach. Um, a lot of books are like, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Am I, <laughs> why would I turn that off? Like one, I think it's impossible Two, why would I turn off this amazing machine that I've spent years honing? What if I just fed it mm. good thoughts instead of bad ones? Like, what if I just fed it the right fuel? Like, can you imagine what I could accomplish if my thoughts were working for me, not against me? So then I mm. had the three things and then I start to write. Got it. And then once you start writing, I mean, is that, is that a, a year process? Is that a, how do you do it? Do you mind map? Do you just fly by the seat of your pants? Yeah. Like what is that? It takes kind of different. I mean, like there's big clump where it's like, there's writing, um, there's community research. So one of the big changes for me is taking my ideas from my office and then testing them with real people that look different than me, that think different than me. Like it's one thing for me to write a book from my perspective. It's a different thing for me to say, okay, I'm going to take a thousand people through these ideas and I'm going to listen to them. What works? What didn't work? How would they write it? What's, what's different? So that when you read my book, I want you to see you. I don't want you to see me. Like it's not, I'm not writing memoirs. Like I want you to see you. So then I, you know, work with this PhD who helps me do research and we actually get to kind of study this and go, here's what we found worked. And that's completely changed my speaking career. Cause it's one thing for me to go, uh, I'll try to figure out how to be charismatic or funny or interesting. It's a different thing to say, okay, we studied nearly 900 people for six months as they worked on finishing their goals. And here's the patterns we saw. And if you do this thing, you're 46% more successful. Like that opens up doors. And so that's changed, but I first have to have the ideas. Um, and it's not, it's not 
ever as linear as I want it to be. I always tell people the book you end up writing is always different than the book you started to write. Um, and I forget that every time and I get frustrated at the beginning and like, but I just start writing a bunch of ideas in a big long list and I number them and I'm, you know, and I'm collecting them. And then I start to look for patterns and then I start to go, wow, this one is really kind of stepping up. I think this is, you know, this is one of the main ideas and here's another idea. And then I start to kind of see the patterns and see the chapters and I've got an outline running in parallel, but it's not a before, like for me, they run in parallel because I'm kind of dancing back before them. But I can't just write to write because I'll never, I need structure, right? That's For great. me anyway, yeah. I need boundaries. Yeah, and I think that's a good, speaking of overthinking, I think that's a good balance between the two because so many people, I mean, type A, I've got my outline. I, oh my gosh, the outline's changing. I can't veer from my outline. Yeah. Or the flip side is I'm just flying by the seat of my pants. I don't know how any of this is going to connect. So I no. like the fluidity that you have kind of- You need both. It's a dance. A good book is a dance. And we've all read books where you can tell the author didn't do the work and expected the reader to do it. And that, that, mm. that book sucks. Mm. That's great. Hey, John, you're, you talked about your brain thinks in, in, in Twitter uh, form content often yeah. and- Obviously, you built a huge audience there, and you're hilarious. Have you always been funny? Is this something that you develop? Like, and then specifically, any tips for folks on how to integrate humor into writing in a way that just doesn't totally flop? Yeah, so I've always appreciated humor. Uh, my family is really funny. I like to say, and this is true, I'm not even the funniest one in my family. My youngest brother is the funniest by far. And that's no insult to my middle brother, my younger or my young sister. Um, but we always valued it. My dad would take me to comedy clubs when I was in high school. Like I saw carrot top twice like that, which like not a lot of people, <laughs> like I saw carrot top in the mid nineties, like, or no, like the early nineties, like yeah. I saw Brian Regan a couple of times. So I loved, so I always had a value for it. I always saw my dad kind of communicate with it. And then for me, I always tell people the trick to humor, whether it's writing or speaking is, be your version of funny. So what happens is sometimes writers read a book and it's like, you got to have a funny story. And then they cram in this funny story that's not in their voice. And then they do this awkward left-hand turn to back to their voice. And they're like, funny story over. And then they turn and speakers do it all the time. A pastor will go, here's a story about football. Now let's talk about God. And the left-hand turn, you're like that. There was no connection. Um, so what I tell people is be as funny as you'd be at a dinner party. If you would be slapstick and over the top, be that way in your voice. If you would mm. be dry and kind of sarcastic, be that way in your voice. If you would be observational, be that way in your voice. So for me, that's how I think about humor. And I'm, I'm, I process out loud. So a lot of times the first time I've heard the idea is the first time anybody else has, cause I'm saying it. So like we're in Nashville, it snowed a lot. Um, and I was telling a neighbor yesterday, I used to make fun of the South when I lived in Massachusetts for not handling storms, but I didn't understand they didn't have the equipment. Like in Massachusetts, snow stayed on the ground for four seconds because everyone there had a plow. Like every one of your friends named Sully had a plow and could just <laughs> clean everything. And, in and I, so, and so I just said to him, the, our plan in Nashville is the sun. Like that's our plan. Like we're like, man, hopefully the sun, hopefully the star, the gigantic ball of fire above us will help like and like that's a tough plan because the sun's pretty temperamental like we don't control it so i had never thought that before and then i was like okay i listened to that and i might write that down and i might go oh that's funny or i might see like i did a comedy a comedy routine 
And one of the jokes was I had seen a sticker in somebody's, somebody's car that said, my dog is smarter than your honor student. I just thought, no, no, it's not. Like, and then I thought, where did you go to high school? How terrible is your high school that you think your dog who, if it throws up, will eat that throw up is smarter than an honor student. Like how bad were your honor students? Like I've never seen like a kid in AP calculus need to put on a thunder shirt. Cause he heard fireworks and was going to like go to the bathroom. Cause he heard <laughs> thunder. Like your dog, I love your dog. I'm sure your dog is awesome. Your dog isn't smarter than an honor student. That's ridiculous. And so like, that started by seeing that bumper sticker and being like, well, what does that mean? Like, and then kind of adding hmm. layers. That's what I like to do. And so you said comedy routine. Did you do stand up comedy for a while? Yeah, no, I just, I'd always said I wanted to, like, it was one of those, like I'm going to someday. And I, I finally was like, screw it. I'm going to do it. And so fall of 2018, um, I did a two, two night, uh, 60 minute set at Zany's, which is the largest comedy club in Nashville. And it was a blast and it sold out in 72 hours and it was terrifying. Wow. And it was a really great creative exercise for me yeah. to have to write a set that, you know, that length. So I had, a, I had fun doing it. It was super challenging. I, I, but I wouldn't say I'm a comedian because I, I have too, too much respect for quote unquote real comedians. For sure. I, so I, uh, I'm trying to search the episode title. I don't have it offhand, but I interviewed um, James Altucher. And he said something oh, yeah. similarly of doing stand-up and how it made him a better writer and the way that he thinks about things and the way that he crafts things. So I'd be curious, follow-up question there for you is anything that you learned from that, those two shows on, on just how it affects your writing or comedy? And, well, you have to get to the point. Humor? You can't, like at least my style of comedy, it's not long exposition. Like you have to get to the point. I think great comedians have a, um, a briefness or a brevity um, to their words where there's no wasted, like Nate Bargatze, um, love his comedy, got to go out to dinner with him, I don't know, a couple years ago. And we were talking about a story that happened to him. And he told the story and it was hilarious when he told it at dinner. And then I saw him do it in a special and it was 90% shorter. And it was the kind of story that uh, a lazier comedian or somebody who wasn't good would have spent a long time trying to milk every joke. And he, he had his down to like nitro, like it was just the bare essence. And like, that's, that's what I think comedy teaches you as a writer. That's great. And I think it's the, the Jerry Seinfeld quote, I think it is, you know, he's like, I'll spend an hour figuring out how to edit one word out of a joke. Oh yeah, it's crazy. The, the the path of least resistance to the punchline means more people are gonna get it. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, yeah. guys like him are masters at that. Yeah, and then you've got the other end of the spectrum, a, a Dane Cook, which will spend twenty minutes telling a story, and the story is the joke, right? Yeah, and if it even fits a, the person, like Kevin that's Hart. the. There's great comedians that do both. It's just it depends on their personality, their style, what you're expecting, the type of audience yeah. they attract. Like there's so many factors. Yeah. Hey, Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right, so if you've learned something, we wanna help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team, We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement. 
let's shift gears to marketing and the newest book. What's your process for, for launching and marketing books and, and how has that changed over the course of multiple books? I mean, you've got multiple New York Times bestsellers. How did you do it? How do you launch books? What sells the most books? Well, I always tell people the worst time to start talking about your book is when the book comes out. Like if somebody ever says to me like, hey, I want to launch a book like you launch a book. And I go, when does it come out? And they say three weeks. I'm like, it's too late. Like it's too late. Like, so I think a big key is you start talking, like if there's keys, it's start talking about it before you think you should and talk about it more than you think you should. Like those are two, every author on the planet is like, oh, I'm bothering people with this book. And like, you're not, we don't even see 90% of those tweets. We don't even see 90% of those Instagram posts. And so I think that's a big part of it. I, there's a long window. Um, and then I really try to go, how does this help somebody? How does this serve somebody? So I find kind of hooks and handles in my books that I go, this is an interesting thing that will speak directly to somebody's life. So I, you know, I wrote a book called finish and I started to have people send me their book that they finished writing because they read finish and they'd send notes that was like, Hey, I had this on a laptop for six years. Your book finally kicked me over the finish line. So then I started to collect them on a shelf. And then like, then I had a whole shelf of evidence of like, if you're a writer and you want to read that, like write a book, you should read my book, finish. It'll help you. And then people start to send like, Oh, here, you know, and that's ongoing. Like that's the thing where finish came out four years ago and I'm still talking about it. And I'm still like, oh, hey, here's a cool thing somebody did with it. That's awesome. I want to celebrate them. So you just kind of, you respond to it too. Um, I think what's worked for me um, is staying consistent, having fun, doing, creating great things for the pre-launch. So like my current book right now, if you go to soundtracksbook.com, we have pre-order bonuses that are good. Like they're not they're not exaggerated. They're not like, I see people be like, oh, $50,000 in pre-order bonus. No, you're not. I know intellectually you're not giving me 50 grand worth of stuff. Like you put a price on something that never costs that price. And then now it's like that. You're like a mattress store sale at this point. Like, <laughs> so like with my launch, you get the entire audiobook for free. That's awesome. Like that's, and I read the audiobook, And so then you go marketing wise. So this time I, like the first couple of books, I riffed in some sections and added some content. And then I was like, nah, screw that. Like I'll, I'll riff with during the audiobook, but I'm going to go into the studio with content that's brand new. That's only in the audiobook, And I'm going to work hard on it a month out and it's going to be edited. I'm going to add a bonus chapter. Like, so every round you're trying to get better and better and better and better. And so now I can go, Hey, there's an audiobook. Not only is there an audiobook, it's got bonus stuff. You won't find anywhere else. I read it. It's really, really fun. You get the first, you know, you get a, a bonus chapter, you get the first video course, you get a signed book plate. I've got 10,000 book plates that are designed to look like my book cover, like a little album and I'm signing them. So now I've got the book plate. I'm like, I'm going to do Instagram live where I sign those live. And I go, Hey, this, this could be yours. I'm like, Whoa, Whoa. Hey, let's add, let's do a purple Sharpie. Like this is purple rain. This is a limited edition. I usually sign in black and I'm going to mail you this. And then like, so I'm doing it live and people feel invested and engaged and that's awesome. And we have fun with it. And then, you know, and then like asking for help, like it's okay to ask your audience to help. Like Pete, there's, there's some terrible people on the internet, like a lot of them, but there's also some really <laughs> good people too yeah. that will, if you ask for help, we'll give you help. And so a lot of people don't know a lot, maybe even a lot of authors when you, and you know this, but like when your book, say my book's coming out April 6th. 
So if you're listening to this right now, you can still go to soundtrackbooks.com, soundtracksbook, soundtracksbook.com. Um, but say my book comes out April 6th. Amazon only orders minimal inventory. They have too many products to have a ton of inventory of every item. So what they do is they base their inventory purchases on how many have been pre-ordered. So if I don't get my book pre-ordered, what happens is on April 5th, the status says pre-order comes out tomorrow. On April 6th at midnight at 12.01, it goes out of stock. And that's the kiss of death for authors. And you'll be out of stock for two weeks and nobody buys anything out of stock. So your job as an author is to get as many pre-ordered books so that whoever runs inventory at Amazon, whatever algorithm goes, hold up. Like this book is doing really well. We should order some more so that you don't go, you know, you don't lose it all on, on the final day. That's smart. So many great tips there and so many things I want to kind of dig into. You mentioned soundtracksbook.com. If, if, if people want to get, grab a, a, yeah. a pre-order copy, how'd you get your publisher um, to agree to free audiobook? It's something I talk about and we teach a lot of times is, but, but most of the time, traditionally published authors, they can't get that deal from their publisher. I think publishers are realizing it's challenging to launch books. And so what I, my experience, I would say over the last, if my first book came out in 2010, over the last 10 or 11 years is that they're more and more willing to be flexible and creative. Like what I found. So like, not that they weren't creative five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, just we now are all in it together. So a good publisher links arms with you. A good publisher links arms with you and goes, Hey, we need to, you know, like, we need to do this together. What can we offer? What can we do? And then the other thing is as an author, it's your job to sell the book. Like you have to care the most, like they, they have a hundred books and that's, they should have a hundred books. You're one of a hundred. So like, even if you have an amazing team, you have to go above and beyond and be the one who's beating the drum, coming up with the new ideas, gathering endorsers. Like I, you can't be lazy when it comes to your book. Like you have to be the, you have to be the biggest fan, biggest cheerleader. Um, and the, and the publisher, a good publisher will amplify that. So my publisher that I'm working with is Baker and they've been amazing. They've been like, anytime I've gone, what if we tried this idea? They go, what if we tried it times five and they go even bigger? So I, you know, I think it depends on the publisher. Um, but what I found is right now they know they have to be creative because it's hard to sell books. And is that, the, have you been with Baker books, uh, every book? That's my that first changed? one. My last two were, uh, with a penguin portfolio. Um, and I did one with Zondervan. I did a couple with Dave Ramsey. So I've, I've gone, I've had, I think four publishers at this point. I see anything you learned pros cons from having multiple publishers that would be applicable to folks who are looking for the right publisher for them. The editor relationship matters the most. Like that's the one, like the editor, like if you like that matters the most, there's, you know, I would take less money for the right editor like that. I mean, like, dude, if you get $4,000 more, but your editor sucks, like after taxes, you got like $2,800 over a 52 week year. You got like, what, like 40 bucks a week. Did that change your life? Did that $40 that week? Like we are like, Oh man, we're going to the Caribbean. Like, look at this $40. <laughs> That's almost $50. Like, so for me, the editor, the editor, the editor, the editor, that's, you know, it's really, that's what you're trying to figure out is what's this editor relationship going to be like. And how do you know that before you sign the deal? Well, or I mean, you can... had there, like 
an editor is an acquisitions editor. So what that means is they're trying to acquire new books from authors. So they're your biggest cheerleader. So if you get a casual acquisition editor, it's not going to go well. If they're like, it's kind of like being an entrepreneur. If a client is a jerk up front, they're going to be a jerk the whole way. Like if they're really hard on you during the negotiation, they're probably going to be that way the entire way. Um, so if an editor isn't excited at the beginning, like they're not going to be excited the whole way. So a lot of times what you're looking for is they are all in, they've read the material, they see something, they see more than I even see because they, you know, they've edited other books I like, you know, like you can say, what other books have you edited? And they go, oh, this, this, and this. Like, so when I was with um, Penguin, my editor for do over edited uh, leaders eat last by Simon Sinek. So like, of course I wasn't like, oh, I don't know. You've only edited Simon Sinek. Like I was like, what you edited Simon Sinek. You're going to be amazing, Maria. Um, and then my editor for the next one, Bria had done so many amazing books too. So I think that's part of it is the upfront relationship. Look at the pedigree. Are they excited about the book? Are they the type of person that's going to go above and beyond? Those are great, great tips. Your most recent book, prior to the one that's you know publishing within a few weeks of this episode coming out, uh, finish, thousand and eighty reviews on Amazon. Looks to be at least you know just looking at social proof. Looks to be your most successful book that you've had. Is that in fact the case? If so, I think so. Why? I think it's outsold Start at this point. Start was initially, but I think Finish over the last few years, it's had a much longer lifespan. Um, it got named one of the uh, top 100 motivational books yesterday by Book Authority. So it's still like, even though it's four years old, like that's why when you pick a topic, it's you have to be willing to talk about it for a long time. You have to be excited about it. Why do you think that book sold the best? Um, what I learned, like people should like, this is this is the thing I've learned. It's so important. You write, at least, at least if you write nonfiction. If you write books and you do fantasy or, or horror or, or anything else, it's maybe not applicable. Um, but the key is to find a question no one says no to. So the question, is it ever hard for you to finish the things you start? Who, who in the world will go, no, I finish everything. I finish every single project, every single goal, every single diet, every single exercise. No, like that's a universal problem. So finish, I think, has done well because it identifies a universal human need and then provides solutions around that. Um, and so that's what I tried. Like, so, so with uh, soundtracks, so, uh, you know, do you ever struggle with overthinking? Like who's going to go? No, I think the exact right amount of thoughts. I never get lost in my thoughts. I never am at the grocery store and remember something dumb. I said three months ago and feel bad. Never happens to me. Like I sleep like a baby every night. I never like, who's going to say that what people are going to say is, yeah, I do. I do overthink. And I, and I get to say, awesome. Cause I spent a few years researching ways that I think could help you like turn that into something good. Let's talk about it. You know, that to me, if you can't figure out the universal question, the nonfiction book is answering, I think it has a hard time. And only 0.5% of 10,000 people said no. Exactly. <laughs> so, for- so like, I'm going to go try to find the 99.5. And so yeah. that's how like, that's why it takes me a while to write a book. Like, that's why I'm not like a book every six months, a book every year. Like, it just takes me a while because I'm trying to find that question, you know? 
You're not the Drake of books. No, I'm not. I'm not, no, I'm not going to surprise release like three albums, like or the Taylor Swift, where it's like, boom, drop three albums. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk. Um, well, actually, maybe one final piece on finish, um, and and then then talk soundtracks and things you're doing to to launch launch a market there. We've already talked about some of that, but you had a you had a course that have a course um, a, a companion course to the finished book. What was the purpose of that? How does that move books? But then how does that also serve kind of the larger purpose from a business perspective for you? Yeah, I mean, it really depends. So like with Finish, um, there's people that like to learn different ways. And there's other, you know, a book is finished, like it's a closed product. And then you continue to talk about it and gather stories and information. And so like a course is a great way to say, hey, here's additional things or hey, Here's, I boiled down all these things to this. Like my first, I had a finished course that had like 30 days and it was too many lessons. It was overwhelming. And then I boiled it down. So now the finished course is six lessons. Here's the six things you need to do. Um, so that's like with soundtracks, I'll have a soundtracks course and it'll say, okay. And I went in and the other thing is you can do more activities in a one-to-one -one kind of way in a course than you necessarily can in a book. Like maybe a workbook, you can totally do that. Like you do a bunch of activities that are super helpful to writers. Um, but I found a course I can say, I'm sharing an idea. Now pause for a second. I want you to go finish this sentence in three ways for your life. And then there's homework. And then there's, so it's just, you know, it's a difference between a textbook and a professor. Um, so I, I like what it adds to the book. I mean, from a sales perspective, if you can bundle it together, it's great. Cause then you're saying, here's one copy of the book. Here's the video course. And it's just like in the same way I like, there's some books I like to listen to on audio and some I like to read physically. There's some things I'd like to learn via masterclass and some things I'd like to learn via podcast, you know? So it, it gives other people who might not sit down with your book, a chance to engage. That's great. And guys, if you're looking for more, more thoughts on, uh, on companion courses, two resources. Um, one is check out a um, previous episode I did with Pat Flynn, all about companion courses and this companion course for super fans. How do you get a higher percentage of people to, you know, subscribe to your email list through having a companion course, a bunch of things like that. And then obviously check out the soundtracks book and companion course. See, uh, see how John does it. It's a great I love going through stuff like this because I learn uh, how to make it better for myself as well. So uh, speaking of soundtracks, let's, let's talk soundtracks. So what are you doing uh, differently or, or maybe even more refined to launch this book successfully? Obviously, right before we hopped on, you said, yeah, I normally have a huge speaking tour yeah. and companion with these books and COVID. So that's not happening. So I'm pivoting in there. So can you talk about some of the things you're doing to launch this book? Yeah. So I'm doing a five day free challenge. Um, that was probably the biggest thing where I'm teaching live five days on the content, um, inside a Facebook group. Um, and it's been a really fun experience already, um, with prizes and just community. And, and so I'm doing that. I'm being really deliberate about that. Um, and I think that's, I think that's a really interesting model and I'm going to test it. I'm going to see, is it a model I want to do again? Um, cause I think it, I think it is like, I think it's one where, I want to take, you know, I've spent 10 years on stage. So could I deliver something via, you know, Zoom or Facebook that's every bit as engaging? 
um, because I don't have live events right now. Like just because that's kind of things are on pause right now. So I would say that's the biggest difference. Um, and then I would say we've stripped down some stuff. Like I joking about $50,000 in giveaways. I think you get to an overwhelming point where people don't, they're not responding to it anymore. You think like, I got to throw the kitchen sink at them. And dude, like people are so overwhelmed with content right now that I think I'm trying to go a little bit less, a little bit more refined, a little bit like there's, there are a handful of special things I can talk about. Um, and then I'm doing a podcast. So I started a podcast, as I mentioned, all it takes is a goal. So I'm figuring out how do I serve that audience with fresh ideas that are book adjacent that build on the book, but aren't instead of the book that encourage you. So, you know, I might do an episode on three ways to change your mindset and it's, you know, it's okay. How do you actually tactically practice self-awareness? Like it doesn't have to be this soft fuzzy and that's related, you know, cause soundtracks is ultimately about mindset. So now I can go, okay, that's a topic. I keep seeing people talk about what's my version. How do I communicate with humor? Um, also like I'm interviewing chapter one has a story of a woman who lost her job during the dot-com bust, had an amazing job, had to do four different jobs to put it all together. One of the jobs was being a receptionist, um, in a real estate office. And she, by changing her mindset, worked her way to the CEO of the company. And so I interviewed her and it's the best episode. Like she's fat, she's brilliant. Um, and so like, that's a difference for me having a podcast where I can go, I told Colleen's story in two pages and it's great, but like now I've got a 40, like we get to talk and I get to go, Oh, you got to meet Colleen from the book, which hopefully makes you go. Oh, I want to check out the book. I like that episode. So I'm just trying a bunch of different things and trying to have a YouTube channel, which I don't know. I don't know how much I'll end up doing with that. Um, so, so we'll see you get to a point. Oh, and I'm doing the community app. I love the community app where you can, people can text with you like that. In fact, if you're listening, I'll give you my number right now, 615-398-6873. And I love the community app because I get to send short, super encouraging messages right to your phone. And it feels real direct. And it feels like special in a way that email sometimes is like, Ugh. I got like, I only needed to get like five emails from Jamba Juice to tell me how they're handling COVID to where I was like this, I don't need this. Like, I don't need... Like, why does every brand in the world need to be like, hey, in case you wanted to know, here's how Jamba Juice is approaching COVID. Like, and we've got that figured out for you. And you're like, oh, come on. So I like community. So I'm trying, dude, I'm, I'm trying a bunch of stuff. Like I'm in the uh, mix. Yeah, that's great. If you, were to, if you were to look at, and I know obviously the book launch hasn't happened yet. So it's, it's kind of a guess at this point. What would you suspect will be the top two or three things that'll move the most copies the five-day challenge, dude, super serving mm -hmm. people. Like our mutual friend was like, nah, dude, you got to move the free line deeper into your content. So he was mm -hmm. very much like, no, we're not talking about like, oh, you give a five-minute riff on an idea. Like I probably by the end of it will have a hundred page document I've written just for the challenge where it's amazing content where I'm like, hey, and it's the only place you'll find it. So like the challenge, I think will be one thing. I think a lot of people will go, Oh, we thought this was going to be like a two minute, like here's my two minute idea. And then John does 90 minutes of trying us to sell his book. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be me going, here's additional stuff that I think is helpful. That I think will do really well. The book launch team. Um, and then just asking, like, I'm trying to get better at that. Cause it's not something I'm comfortable at. Um, but like, for instance, doing stuff where I'll say, Hey, here's why it matters that you pre-order. 
Nobody knows that. Here's why it matters because it tells Amazon them like, so letting people into the process and kind of, I'm trying to break the fourth wall more this year. I used to be really good at it. And then I got kind of like, I'm a serious author. And then I think I put up too many boundaries and now I'm trying to go like, nah, like come in, like, let me break the fourth wall. Let me talk about this. Like we did this photo for the book launch and this is so cheese ball of me. So like the book cover has um, the thinker statue, one of the most famous statues of all time. And he's wearing yellow headphones. Um, the, the design team that did that, I loved it immediately. So good. It was so subtle. But so like, here's a free tip for everybody. When you're doing a book cover and, and Mark Rice, uh, the, the publisher at uh, Baker taught me this. He's like, you can be clear um, and clever, but if you can only pick one, pick clear. And you see book covers that go for clever and it like, yes. it's a fun joke for you, dude. Yes. Didn't sell books. So like dumb. I'm, it doesn't work. You're not making yeah. a poster for your bedroom. Like yeah. if people look at it and don't get the joke you're doing or the creative, like mm -hmm. it's useless. So I'd rather yeah. it be. Um, but so anyway, I was like, dude, I'm going to get a pair of yellow headphones and I'm going to recreate the thinker statue when I go to the photo shoot. And my friend, Jeremy Cowart took the photos and like, he didn't say don't do it, but it was, he, I think he probably was like, Oh, come on, dude. <laughs> so we did that photo. And then I gave it to like the design team that's helping me and they've put it in so many places that I'm like, Oh, it's so cheesy, but it's kind of funny. And it's kind of, I've got, I've been able to admit, like I said in the, in the post on it, like, this is the cheesiest photo I've ever taken. Like I thought it would be cool. And it ended up looking like I was about to drop an emo album of spoken word poetry. <laughs> like it's so like, but that, I think that's fourth wall where you go like. Cause what does that mean? Uh, break, uh, breaking down the fourth wall. Oh yeah, so wall. fourth wall is, a, is an acting term where you talk to the camera. So when Zach Morris on Saved by the Bell turns to the camera and says like, hey, isn't this crazy mm -hmm. that Jesse's like, mm -hmm. that's what fourth wall is. Um, it's kind of how you would describe the office as fourth wall comedy. So they're uh -huh. constantly talking to a camera. They're constantly. So what it means is, as an author is instead of looking a certain way um, and always kind of trying to maintain an image, you say, I just did this thing and it was super challenging. And here's the like, Hey, can I talk to you for a second about this? Like this was, and you go, you can tell when an influencer is not doing that, where you go, like, there's never, they're never going to break the fourth wall. And I feel disconnected. I think we have a generation that loves when the fourth wall is broken. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do. That's great. John, this has been awesome. Uh, final couple questions here. What, knowing what you know now, what would be your advice to John from how many ever years ago, seven books ago, pre-book one and all the other Johns out there who are about to go on the journey of writing and publishing their first book? I would say build an email list. Consistently build an email list. It's the least sexy thing. It's annoying. It's time consuming but it matters. Like I over-focused on shiny nickels like Twitter and missed longer term investments like email. Um, Cause people quit Twitter all the time. People change their social media accounts all the time. It sucks to have to change your email. Like people, like it sucks. Cause you have to send that email to all your friends. Like I have a new email address. Please put in your context. Nobody does dude. No one is like, <laughs> hold up. I got to stop my day to update Gary's email. Like, no, like, so nobody changes their email. They're connected to it. It's better than social media. But yeah, if you said to me, what would you say? Or sometimes the question is, if you only had $100 to invest, like I would, I would go, invest, go invest in that is like, how do I do email? And then I would say, keep writing. I had a blog in 2001, dude, um, that was like built with Dreamweaver. And, and I 
like I tried it for like six months or nine months with my buddy, Billy. And then I just gave up for like seven years. So like, it pains me to think what I could have done audience wise, if I had been faithful to that over those seven years, because dude, nobody, this is before Facebook. This is before Twitter. Like I could have had a huge, and I'm so grateful for the audience I do have. That's not, this isn't being ungrateful. It's just, I wish I had been more faithful. It's great. Great advice in all areas of life. Uh, John, it's been, been so great, man. How can people uh, find out more about you and more, most importantly, pre-order or post-order yeah. uh, your most recent book? So you can pre-order the book anywhere, um, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, anywhere. Then just go to soundtracksbook.com and fill out the form so that I know where to mail the stuff to you. So we've got a book plate. Like What I say about uh, pre-ordering books is it's like a surprise you send to your future. Cause you're going to forget like, no, the only person who's keeping a countdown to April 6th is me. But what's going to happen is on April 6th, you're going to be like, what's this box on my front steps? And you'll be like, huh? And they're like, Oh, that's right. It's John Ango's book. Like I pre-ordered it. So that's what I'd say there. You can find me at acuff.me, um, acuff.me. And then on Twitter, John Acuff, Instagram, John Acuff, um, my podcast, that's where you should go uh, check out is all it takes is a goal. Um, and that's super fun. It's a weekly podcast where I talk about, how to do the goals you care about the most. Because in my opinion, the future belongs to finishers. That's awesome. Check out the book. Guys. If you're an overthinker, are you an overthinker? 99.5% of people say yes. Yeah, uh, grab the book, soundtracksbook.com. John, you're a legend. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Chandler. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of the Self-Publishing School Podcast. I know there's so many places that you can be spending your time. There's other podcasts that you can be listening to, YouTube channels that you can be watching. Uh, so thank you so much. It means the world. Now, I want you to do three things right now if you found this episode. All right, number one, I don't know if you know this, but we've got a YouTube channel. It's a companion channel to this podcast. All the video versions of the episode are on the YouTube channel. So number one, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Number two, if you're listening to this podcast wherever, whether this is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, number two, I want you to subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss a future episode. Uh, and then number three, this is probably the most important, uh, leave a review on the podcast. All right, reviews are super important and help this podcast get discovered by other people. Uh, so number three, leave a review on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode. If you're on the fence about scheduling a publishing consultation call with my team, maybe you're not quite ready uh, for that, I've got some free training that I think will be really helpful for you. All right, all you have to do is go to register to sign up. Go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. When you do, you're also going to get a free digital copy of my new book, Published. And on that training, you're going to learn the next step, so how to implement with your book. So how to write, how to publish, how to launch successfully. So go to register right now at selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. I'll see you there.